This is CliffCentral.com. Here's a powerful thing. I mean, it's got a lot of firepower. If you can figure out a way to wrestle that fear to push you from behind rather than stand in front of you, that's very powerful. Multiplying leadership, moving society the millennial way. But you don't want to end up going after goals and dreams and neglect yourself. Welcome to the Youth Leadership Platform with your host, Bongani Tao. Platform. Okay, welcome to the Youth Leadership Platform. You are chilling with your host with the most, Bongani Tao. And <laughs> uh, it should be an exciting Monday. If your Monday was not exciting enough, um, the Youth Leadership Platform is here to make sure that now it is. Um, thanks again for choosing the Youth Leadership Platform and for joining us. And as per our weekly promise, great content. Great guests, um, powerful and engaging um, interviews with those great guests. And today's guest does not drop the ball like we don't. Um, she is the creative director of uh, Platform Creative. And it's it's basically a platform. She's going to tell us more about that. Uh, but to, to, to kind of sum it up and, and give you a glimpse of, of the caliber of women that I'm, I'm sitting across from, um, this platform is dedicated to push and to help um, South African creatives um, to bridge the gap as well between uh, the people with the resources to the people with the talent. And her name is Kathy O'Cleary, the creative director of uh, Platform Creative. Welcome to the Youth Leadership Platform. Um, awesome. So we'll try that one more time. Welcome to the Youth Leadership Platform. Thank you so much, Bangani. Ah, there we go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so take us through, um, platform creative. What is the platform and what it aims to do? So we started it, um, five years ago, um, with myself and my business partner, Lawrence Brick. We are essentially interested in creating content and context for things in the creative industry to exist. So that could be a museum experience. It could be a retail experience. It could be product development for a designer. So we, we, we really look at why something exists and how it should be then projected to the market or to the experience that somebody may have around that product or that a museum experience or curation. Wow. And from, from the founding of, uh, the company and, and, and platform itself, um, what are, what are, what are some of, um, the challenges that, uh, you faced, uh, with, with, with your partner, with these objectives that you, you've just aligned, um, outlined, sorry. So we, well, I think first of all, we, we started to fill a gap that really didn't exist. I mean, in the past, people have used advertising agencies. More and more, they're using creative industries. 
agencies. And I think it's because we get really deep into the DNA of something. Okay. We, we, um, we, Look at how we, both Lawrence and I come from um, retail and editorial backgrounds, and we know a lot about production and design. And so just getting into how things are made, that's often one of the first issues many creatives would have, how things get to market, um, how people experience um, a shopping experience or, or going through a museum or, or what's going to excite them, what's going to you know um, make them go wow or stop them in their tracks or want to touch something and pick it up. So those, those at the very beginning, it was really hard for us to even work out for ourselves what that vision was going to be so that we could sell the concept to other people. Mm-hmm. So we started initially talking about the fact that in our industry, there was very little to push the contemporary design industry, which is a very okay. important part of our um, commerce in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was no platform for that. And so we looked at the idea of taking on a contemporary design show that could push that. So we launched 100% Design South Africa with Reed uh, Expos five years ago. We're in our fifth year. Oh, wow. And um, that has gone from strength to strength. So initially people saw us as sort of leaders in the design world and, and supporters of that. But it's gone much further now. Um, we are, we've just done the, a shop for the Zeit Smoker in Cape Town. Hmm. And that was a very interesting project where we looked at the experience of going into that amazing building by Thomas Heatherwick in the silos hmm. and looking at the art, the African art that's in the building. And then how do you bring that through to creating a retail store that people always want to take away something? Yes. And, but that something has to have meaning and value. It can't mm-hmm. be just a, an ordinary a tourist souvenir. So from that, we are now talking to other museums and we have been, we've just completed a museum for the South African Mint in Midrand. Wow. Um, and that was a beautiful experience for me because I love to research and um, getting into a, a, a brand and a company that really wanted to be very forward thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the past has been quite... Um, it's, it's sort of two-sided history. You know, it's either been a British history or an Afrikaans history. Sure. So how do you take a, a brand and, and give it a future within a modern South African context? Um, and coins, I learned, are a fascinating, there's fascinating history behind them. So I got excited and the idea was that if I can get excited, I can make other people excited on the journey through that small museum and then obviously leading to retail, which where they sell the Krugerrands and uh, collectible coins. Hmm. So we we seem to be going more into that field, and I think it's a very exciting time in South Africa where we can go more conceptual with our design, and then that offers platforms, which is what we're about, creating platforms for brands and for people so that they can um, go to the next level themselves, so they can go from good to great. Hmm. And I really strongly believe that we have an incredible force of creative people in this country, and they're much uh, maligned. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think they're supported yes. enough. And especially for our younger designers, I was speaking to one just this morning who um came up to me in, in despair because she doesn't know the direction. And, and for, for young 20-year-olds out of college, 
there is a, there is a huge leap to get into something that can be commercial, that can be viable for them. And we mustn't lose that young energy and we mustn't lose that immense creativity. We've got to invest and support our, our designers and we're not doing it. Well, we're doing it very poorly at the moment. Mm-hmm. We are, the design industry I find is very kind and people will um, help and collaborate with young designers and push them forward. But at the end of the day, they've got to make money yes. to survive and, and hopefully to improve our country in mm. many different mm. ways. Um, so I could go on and on. <laughs> I, I get very passionate about how we need to help those young people. We, we're going we're gonna to talk in, in investing um, in, in um, art South Africa, right? But uh, right before we, we do that, uh, we'll take a leap back into in, in, into the past. And, mm. and um, we want to find out now um, about Kathy. So mm. where, where did you grow up and what were some of your aspirations as, as a young girl? I grew up in Ireland and London. And Northern Ireland. So I grew up in a very troubled time. Um, my father was a journalist, so we we moved uh, around the sort of between London and Dublin and Belfast. Interesting. Um, and I came from a very literary background. I grew up with writers and poets and politicians. But I knew from my grand, both my grandmothers, there was a very creative side to the family. Mm-hmm. And I ended up going to art college. And like most Irish people of my age, I emigrated because there was very little in Ireland. And I went to London and found myself within a short space of time working in, in possibly one of the best magazines in the world, uh, World of Interiors. And I learned about the design industry, the interior design industry, um, which I adore. And then all of a sudden, my husband declared that um, he was working for The Guardian in London and that he'd been offered a job in South Africa, a country I'd never imagined <laughs> I would end up in. And it was 1995, so it was obviously a very exciting time and, mm-hmm. a, and, and a transient time. So it was fa- fascinating to come from being in the centre of London's design scene and meeting all the, you know, the famous people in London design to going to South Africa that were, um, yes, there was a small design community, but it was, it was a very elite community. Mm-hmm. And then watching over the next sort of five to 10 years, I became magazine editor here in South Africa is just how. At, Which magazine? Sorry. I worked for L Decor, I was the editor of L Decoration and then, um, House and Leisure. And, um, just to see how after the initial openness uh, when the country was open to the world and everyone wanted foreign brands because they hadn't seen them before or mm-hmm. they hadn't had got them in South Africa and there was the, just this big surge in, in overseas brands coming into the country. Very quickly, I think people realized that actually, well, what we do here is extraordinary as well. It's kind of better. Yeah, yeah it's better. Sure. Um, and in many ways, isolation kind of made people make things here in South Africa. So there's a really great tradition of making from all communities. Mm-hmm. And I got really fascinated around 2000 about what is actually a South Af- what's the South African style? What's, what, what is it that's going to make 
this this energy in this in this country different and i began to analyze what's what it is we love about this country you know it's the wide open spaces it's the making something out of nothing mm. it's it's partly colonial heritage it's partly indigenous heritage it's, so all that comes together and and what i think now that we've grown over the past 20 odd years is that there's an appreciation across the board of people's stories and narrative of design and the heritage that um, people are beginning to tap into in a very different way now. Mm -hmm. And that is what is being exported around the world. And the world is really, really looking, one, to this continent and two, to this country, because we are design leaders in Africa, mm -hmm. is um, there, there's this, just this unbridled, um, untapped creative energy that I'm seeing especially in the youth, hmm. and I think those are the under 25s, hmm. where they aren't involved so much in the baggage of the past, but they're they're seeking and forming new identities and for creating, themselves. Yes, and you see it in downtown Joburg. Sure. I'm really interested in what develops in the street, because if it develops in a healthy street culture like Joburg is has now in downtown. Mm -hmm. Those people, those creatives who who are, you know, they may be graffiti artists or they may be fashionistas or they may be loud and extraordinary, they're going to be our art and design establishment 10, 20, 30 years down the line. If somebody starts a street festival, they're going to be the gallerists and museum directors of the future. Mm. So I think we are seeing this incredible movement at the moment in our youth and uh, they have platforms like Instagram, where I do a lot of my research, actually. I'm always looking on Instagram to find young, new talent. Fresh talent. Yeah. Okay. So, but unfortunately, a lot of them don't currently have income or the means or the knowledge to get to the next level that they need to get to. Okay, jump back into the past again. So what did you now, so now you, before moving into, into, into South Africa and getting all these, um, editing jobs, what, what, what did you, what did you study? I, I was an art college dropout. I studied oh, fine arts, but I, 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 it was a very strange time in Ireland. Um, it was, uh, a, a, a similar in a way to South Africa, it was it was coming out of a recession. It was, I find the art college was really too political for me, mm -hmm. and I I didn't quite know what direction I wanted to go in. So I think I did two or three years at college, and then I, I went to London and I worked in retail for a while, and I I kind of drifted. And then once I knew that there was this thing, this job that I'd heard of called styling, I could become a magazine stylist. Mm -hmm. I really, that's what I wanted to do. And within um, three or four months, I managed to find a route to get the attention of an editor where that's, she basically offered me a job. So, um. Who was this editor? Which she magazine? She was, uh, it was World of Interiors magazine. She was, uh, she is an amazing woman called Min Hogg. Okay. Quite a scary woman <laughs> <laughs> in the real um, editor tradition. But for those three years when I worked in London, um, as features editor of World of Interiors, um, and I think that was incredible. She put a lot of faith and she gave me that title straight away. Um, I got exposed to the top people in the industry. Hmm. 
And when you talk to the top people and you learn about how they got there or they um, do things or they present their own work, you really learn a lot. So yes. for me, it was like going to Oxford University of Interior Design. I, mm. I was exposed to the people like Kelly Hoppen and, and you know, all the very famous names in, in, in the industry. And I got to visit incredible textile factories and furniture factories and you you understand then the heritage of a company and, and people really, really are impassioned about their heritage. And that's where I learned that that's what you need to tell people about your product or your brand. All luxury products, for example, talk about heritage and craftsmanship. Of course, of course, yes. So that I mean, luxury itself exists within a mm. form of heritage, right? A, yeah. a history. Yeah. Um, because when you buy into, for instance, um, Burberry, you're buying into, <clears throat> excuse me, um, the Paris, um, you know, um, culture. You're, yeah, and, you're buying and, and into that, the history of that check, yes. basically, yes. and then they they play around with it and they give it an edge. Um, we have that possibility here because we have great artisans. And of course, uh, most luxury products are handmade. Mm -hmm. They're not, you know, they're not mass produced. So we have those abilities. And we, it's just a question of then how do you, like, for example, I worked with a wonderful designer from Kenya called Adele Dejac. We worked on a project called Design Network Africa where we were to elevate designers into a, into an, another level and get them exposed globally. And Adele was making very beautiful um, bracelets and necklaces for the tourist market pr primarily. She was tapping into Westerners coming to Kenya. But we saw, and she was presenting her work in a kind of really, like all her models wore like 20 bracelets. It was mm -hmm. sort of like cheapening the brand. So we we changed her branding. We made it more elegant and we restricted what she was putting on the models. And now if you look at Adele Dijak on Instagram, you see the most powerful and beautiful images. And she's, she's selling in Italy. She's working with Ferragamo. Hmm. So... Just there is huge potential and, and we have those brands in South Africa. We have those designers who can really elevate themselves and make product that um, is authentic and and means something to somebody halfway across the planet. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can look at people like Laduma. They're all I was about to yeah. say, I was about yeah. to say, yeah. Because people get that. What, what are some of the challenges that um, you faced? I mean, now you you earned your 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 first role and you you're working within this um, <clears throat> big magazine, um, but I mean everywhere in in every industry there's the these stigmas about how you need to have a particular piece of paper that's going to validate um, your place in that place of work or in that industry. What are some of the challenges that you had to face um, building your career now in the editorial space of interior or just design um, as a whole? And how did you overcome them? I think, um, well, when I arrived in South Africa, um, you know, for a while, obviously I couldn't work. And then when I was able to work, I... Um, I started to uh, look at the local magazine scene and, and I saw there needed to be a lot of development. So my challenge was that when you're used to big budget shoots from the UK and then you come here and of course everyone was struggling and we were back, we were on tiny shoot, shoot budgets. What I quickly learned was you become more creative. 
Okay. You, because you you have to you have to make a plan. Okay. And uh, just give you one case in point. I did a photo shoot um, with a wonderful photographer who now lives in New York called Frances Janish. And Frances and I, she had a tiny studio in Melville. Um, we had to climb 10 sets of stairs, it seemed like, and <laughs> lug up all this furniture. And we had a beautiful model who was nearly fainting in the heat. And we, we put her in a lovely dress. And that was the cover of our magazine that, that the next three months. Hmm. Well, that was for L Decoration. Now, L Decoration has a global network. And, we um, had used a black model, and it was a, a very grey, serene picture. Okay. Italian L Decoration saw that and said, we want that for our cover. And that was the first time they had a black model on their cover. Oh, interesting. And out of this tiny little Garrett's place, we had created something that was that said contemporary South Africa. Mm-hmm. And that one image, Frances, when she went to New York in her portfolio, that was the one image everyone stopped on because wow. it just represented something new and fresh. Mm. And Frances went on to work for top magazines in the States. And she then went into that big budget um, program where they would hire trucks and processing the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I think what we have here is that we are so used to being restricted in budget or, and that actually can produce incredible creativity. Hmm. So those with. How do you to gain more opportunities in my right? Then do work that galleries start to look at. Hmm. So that, that's what Young Kao Teng is doing. It's exposing 10 or 15 young people to, um, an industry. I mean, every single person in, in, you know, in mature person in that industry goes straight to, to look at that stand because they know that's our future. And, um, we all, all in the design industry are very passionate about developing that. Mm-hmm. So I think from within the industry, there is no issue in, in plucking our young black designers and giving them a future. Sure. I think the, Issue is in what support are they getting from at a government level or um, at a level where they they're, they're being mentored and pushed and tutored. So, as 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 a, as a voice um, with authority, what what sort of um, systems should be put in place or? What supporting platforms that should be put in place to help them um, so that they can go to that particular place and get the help that they need? There are um, regional and government programs okay. and um, NGO programs. I think the problem is that they are not talking to the design industry who know the industry. I find that um, I, mean, I was speaking to a, a young designer um, from Joburg who is was... Um, asked to go on the DTI program to go to Europe. I, I find those programs are, um, they're not that helpful because they are, they're putting people in a trade show, but they're not representing them in the best way and they're not representing them in an imaginative way. Hmm. They're giving them a space at a trade show under certain branding. And, um, actually most of the world have moved well on from that kind of mm. presentation. There needs to be much more imagination about how we present our work overseas. Hmm. And that comes down to good curation. Okay. So, um, I think th- that's one way we really need to show our design overseas because our designers are phenomenal. Hmm. 
and the world wants to see that. They're hungry for that. Where where do you get the designers that you feature in in, in what you curate in in all these different um, exhibitions? I'm a researcher. Okay. <laughs> Being an ex journalist, um, Instagram's one of the best ways to find new talent um, because that's the method that they're they're pushing themselves from. Okay. And it is a visual industry. Um, there are an interesting programs. So we're watching, I mean, the young creatives at Design and Daba, um, the Nando's portal program. Um, so there, there are great support systems going on that you, you, you see a star. We obviously read magazines, look at who the journalists are looking at. Um, but, and Pinterest. Um, but there's primarily, I think most of my research is coming from Instagram. And of course, we see, look, keep an eye on what's coming out of the colleges. Mm-hmm. But sometimes those, those bright new stars aren't coming out of the colleges. They're, they're coming in in another way. So if I was a, a designer and I'm sitting and I'm listening to this podcast and I'm like, you know, I love this lady. Um, I love, Obviously, I can gain a lot from her experience, um, but how do I get in touch with her to probably ask questions or? Well, I'm on Instagram. Kathy <laughs> <laughs> um, O'Cleary on Instagram, and Platform has its own Instagram, so you can connect with us through that. But um, also our website, PlatformCreative.co.za. I am open to anyone approaching me. Awesome. So, with with Platform Creators, what's 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 next? We are busy now in a presentation for a big project with a, a huge brand. And um, I find a lot of brands are now wanting to develop experiences around their brand. Okay. Um, because the usual traditional roles of marketing and advertising are shifting and changing. Hmm. And um, our young people, you can't pull the wool over their eyes. Mm, mm. They they are re- researchers themselves, yes. and they 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 they're not buying into Very the traditions aware. of the past. Sure. So brands are shifting, and um, they the really forward thinking brands are looking at that and just saying, right, how do we create fantastic experiences around a brand? So we're we're about to do a big presentation on that. And we are interestingly working in um, another project, which is a co-share working space. Okay. Because that, again, that's another big shift in the industry. Sure. Um, offices are becoming not less static, and people, especially um, businesses of people under thirty, they're looking to work in co-share spaces. Oh. So we're developing several cultures around an interior design experiences around mm. that. I hope we get to a point where as well with uh, Retail South Africa, when you look at some of the designs that um, come through um, the retail shops that exist, there's there's not a lot of African no. Um, no, talent that's sold there. And, <laughs> yeah. and it's very frustrating. <laughs> you've, because hit, you've hit my passion point. I find retail in this country is very um, dire, but it is across the world. Hmm. And I think there's very little representation of what contemporary African design, South African design is all about in fashion or in, in interiors or whatever. Um, I think the market is shifting again because our younger people are less interested in objects, more in experiences. So retail is suffering. Hmm. And I find a lot of our retail is too generic and too safe. Hmm. If you look at the successful brand, international brands like Azara, they're bold, they're brave. Um, and we need to be much more bolder and braver. And we need to actually talk about our own narrative. So we need to develop contemporary products around who we are, not an imitation of what is around the globe. Mm. 
Hey, because you, you walk into a store and, and you, you're like, where, where is this particular um, designer from South Africa? And I mean, if designers from South Africa get the space, then they'll start making the money. They start contributing to the economy. We build um, uh, a new, complete design um, industry yeah, as well. Yeah, and, 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 and some our retailers have been supportive of that. But I still find it tends to be the African theme as opposed to the norm. Oh, okay. So our designers are like, in some cases, it's a token gesture, like we are supporting local designers, but we're selling actually imported clothing <laughs> from around the world. So it's actually, I think it's got to be less like our altruistic project and mm-hmm. more about actually developing our own style that, you know, there, there are people here that will develop the Zara mm-hmm. of South Africa. Mm-hmm. So let them do it. Don't pander to imitating Azara. Mm. Um, don't try. It has to. It has to be the norm. It cannot be the. It cannot be a, a theme, an ethnic theme, for mm-hmm. example. I think we have this immense energy, and glo- we are becoming a global force ourselves. And of course, if you look at the predicted figures of how the population around Africa is going to grow, mm-hmm. it's a youthquake, and um they're not they're not going to want to be like Americans or Europeans they want to be Africans and I would think in their That's a very powerful point to me yeah mm. so they they've because they've been exposed to the world anyway through Instagram sure they can tap into an American designer or Australian designer or whatever they feel right well I can see what they're doing but this is what I want to do and I think our retail industry really needs to start addressing that. Mm. Well, um, Kathy, thank you so much for, 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 for coming through to the Eat Leadership platform and dropping pearls of, of wisdom. Um, so the, the, the website, you said it's platformcreative.co.za. Okay. Yeah. Now, awesome. No, thank you so much again for, for coming through and we look forward to, to seeing what, um, more incredible work you're going to keep doing with Design South Africa and, and hopefully you'll transform it and help our designers to re- get recognized and get invested in as well so that we can build that um, aspect of our economy and our economy can grow at large. All right. So uh, Mr. Ryan Keats from the Japan Cultural Exchange uh, Program joins us on the line um, to tell us about an opportunity that's available to all of you who are listening to the show right now. Welcome to the Youth Leadership Platform. Yes, uh, good afternoon, Bogani, and thank you for having me on your show. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. So there's there's a there's a wonderful opportunity, uh, and I, I wouldn't want to take the honor upon myself to introduce it. Um, so take kindly take us through um, through it. All right. Um, as uh, your listeners may be aware, this year, July, on the 28th of July, 45 South African graduates left for Japan as part of the Japan Exchange and Teaching Program. Um, basically, they go over to Japan to enhance foreign language education and promote international exchange with Japanese youth. Interesting. So these, when were these selected? 
All right. Um, there's a yearly intake where application forms become available um, usually in September every year. Um, we have an uh, application deadline this coming November on November 9th, and application forms are available on our embassy website. Um, they can easily just Google the Embassy of Japan in South Africa and okay. get uh, the, the forms off our embassy website. And as I said, the application deadline is the 9th of November 2018. What should um, students uh, look forward to in being part of the program itself? All right. So, uh, so, so far, 655 South African graduates have become part of the, um, the JET program. It stands for the Japan Exchange and Teaching Program. And uh, JET participants work as assistant language teachers. So they are assisting Japanese teachers of English in the classroom to assist with things like pronunciation, speeches, dialogues um, in, the, in the English classroom. Um, so, you know, the, the ALTs or the assistant language teachers are in touch with the teenagers at local authorities in schools such as preschools, primary schools, high schools, uh, which includes junior highs as well. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Um, so for further details on this, you said um, they can be able to Google the um, Japan embassy um, to, embassy to get more Japan, yes. embassy of, of Japan to, to get more information on this. Perfect. That's correct. Okay. Um, any parting words um, before we let you go? Yes. Um, you know, um, participants that have been part of the uh, JET program over the years. It's the 21st year that it's been running uh, with South African participants. Um, not only do they have a fantastic cross-cultural experience in Japan, but also on returning to South Africa. Um, a lot of the, the ex-participants are currently working um, at places like the Embassy of Japan, uh, building bridges between South Africa and Japan. So it's, it's something that we can really... Um, commend and uh, you know it's a, it's a it's a very safe program because it is totally funded and supported by the the government of Japan. Oh interesting. Um do you have any social media um handles that uh, we can link our um our listeners to? Yes, the Embassy of Japan does have a Facebook page where they can also find links to the the embassy website to get the forms available. All right. No, thank you so much for joining us on the Youth Leadership Platform and I guess to our listeners who are listening to the show live, um, here's an incredible opportunity. You've just graduated. You have problems with finding employment within South Africa. Um, how about you, you, you apply and go to a different country, learn something new, um, develop yourself, innovate, um, go teach and perhaps your life might change. Um, so that was the Embassy of Japan um, to South Africa with a wonderful opportunity for South African graduates. Thank you for choosing the Youth Leadership Platform. We will be back after this.
All right, welcome back to the Youth Leadership Platform podcast. If you just joined us, you just missed um, a wonderful interview with um, Kath and the Embassy of Japan. Um, but for more information, go on to www.cliffcentral.com and you'll be able to find links to this podcast to catch up on anything that you might have missed. Uh, but joining us now is Temba Mguni, who is... Uh, Becoming <laughs> um, our in-studio um, legal guru to help um, youngsters navigate um, uh, through labor-related issues, and today we are talking about um, labor law and the difference um, and the pros and cons weighing between um, permanent um, agreements and contractual uh, agreements. And, and, and Temba Mguni will um, clarify and, and, and get more into that. Welcome to the Youth Leadership Platform, Temba. Thank you so much, Bongane, for having me on the show. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. So so, so give us give us the lowdown. Um, uh, okay, so I'm going to start by giving you a background. Normally what companies do, they give people a contract written independent contractor instead of giving them an employment agreement. And the reason why they do that is because once there's an employment relationship, labor law kicks in, labor relations act apply, then there's more onerous obligations on the employer. Mm-hmm. So many companies, they've been doing it for years. They employ people as contractors and not as employees for the reasons I've said. However, because, look, we have identified the gap in what companies are doing. The Labor Relations Act tries to protect employees who are affected by that situation because everyone wants a permanent job and the difference, the big difference between an employment contract and a, just an independent contractor is that if someone is an employee, you can't just dismiss that person. You mm. must have reasons and you must follow a procedure. Yes. But if you are just a contractor, then I can just give you a notice to say, with effect from this day, I no longer need your services. Interesting. Yes. So back then, it was all about the agreement signed by the parties. Mm-hmm. But now we dig deeper, we dig deeper, we go into the substance and not the form. Sure. So whatever you signed, uh, the label of the contract doesn't matter. We go to the substance. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So normally the courts, they employ test uh, to ascertain whether a contract, it's one of employment or just an independent contractor. What they use is they first determine whether the company, does the company uh, control that person? For example, do they regulate your hours? Do they force you to do certain things? If so, then that points that actually you're not a contractor but an employee. Another factor which is used is, for example, if all your income you get from one company, that normally indicates that you're an employee, you're mm, not a contractor. Mm, mm. Because as a contractor, uh, you can work for many companies. As I am a lawyer, today I can draft a lease agreement for you. Tomorrow I can go draft a letter of demand for someone. I'm a contractor, not an employee. Mm. Yes, but employees are normally obligated to work for one person and only have one source of income. Yeah, so it is very important for people to distinguish between the two to avoid abuse. Okay. Yeah, so what the Labor Relations Act does, it goes a step further and creates a presumption. So 
this presumption will kick in. The presumption is that you are an employee of a company if uh, the first requirement is that you must earn below 205,000 per annum. Secondly, you must provide services for that company. Thirdly, you must show that that, contra- that that company controls you. If you can prove all those three things, then the presumption is that you are employed by that company. Interesting, okay. Then the burden is on that company to show that actually you're not an uh, employee by the contractor. Mm. So that presumption really helps because the burden is not on employees to prove that they're actually employees, but the company must disprove that they're not employees. So Mm. that really helps because when Mm. you go to court, Mm. the people do not have to prove much. They just have to prove those requirements. Namely, I'll repeat them because they're very important. You must end below 205 per annum. Mm -hmm. You must provide uh, services to to the alleged employer to a company. Thirdly, you must show that that company controls you or they give you tools of equipment. For example, they give you a cell phone. They give you equipment which you need to to do your work. Hmm. Yes, however, there there are certain factors which uh, in law show whether someone is an employee or a contractor. So normally with an employment relationship, uh, the relationship with the company is more personal. Okay. So if I'm employed by company X, I cannot ask my friend to go work for me. Mm. So yeah, mm. that's an, in an employment relationship. Sure. However, if I'm a contractor, all that is required is to achieve a certain result. So for example, if I was required to paint a room, it doesn't have to be done by me as a contractor as long as the job is done. Mm. So that's how you, yeah, you distinguish, distinguish between, between the two. Exactly. Sure. So, but another thing is that normally if an employee dies, uh, employment uh, contract, it's, it's the end of it. However, with the contractor, let's say uh, it's a contract between me and company A. If I die today, someone else can perform those services. So it continues. So that's another major difference Be between the two. Mm. And normally employees are, are supervised. But if I'm a contractor, they just tell me what to do. They don't have to tell me how to do it, when to do it. They'll just give me a date to say that by this timber, we need this done. Sure. Yeah. So that distinction is very important because uh, once it is established that there is an employment relationship, then labor law kicks in. And labor law protects uh, employees and imposes Many obligations are on, on companies. For example, if I'm employed in a company as an employee, sure. if I have a drinking problem, when I tell them that company has the duty to assist me, they must take me to rehab. However, if it's just an independent contract, then they can fire me anytime. Mm. So that's why it is very important to distinguish between the two. Another difference is that if I'm, I'm if it's, it is proved that I'm an employee. Sure. That I'm entitled to benefits which the company gives to the other uh, employees. For example, uh, study assistance, uh, pension benefits. But if I'm a contractor, they'll just pay me a fixed fee and it ends there. So that that's a very important what legal advice, which I think many people are not aware. Sure, yeah, sure. Because sure. normally you'll find someone saying that my uh, agreement was not, was not renewed. Yeah. Yeah. Only to find that that's abuse. Employment uh, contract, you don't have to renew. You just have to prove that I'm employed by this company. Then normally it runs permanently. Interesting. Well, thank you so much for, 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 for these, this powerful, um, insights in, in, into labor law where, um, being a permanent uh, employee and, and being contracted to, to do certain work for a company is concerned. And I guess to everyone that's, um, listening, um, it's, it's, it's very important to, 
look into all of these different things before you sign anything because what you are binding yourself into as well will yield its results and yes. labor can only protect you um if you're an employee exactly if you're not unfortunately you see um thank you so much for for, for joining us um how do people get um in in, in contact with you okay so on social media Temba Mguni on Instagram and Facebook. All right. Uh, and that was uh, Temba Mguni for the legal um, with Temba Mguni from the Youth Leadership Platform. Um, as always, um, join the conversation on all social media platforms at Simply Bongani. And this has been the Youth Leadership Platform. Good day and God bless. This is CliffCentral.com.